Second Corinthians chapter 8, and we read from verse 1. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And here is my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Last year you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work, so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. Then there will be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. Amen. Let's turn in our Bibles to Second Corinthians chapter 8. And this is our second uh, study, our sermon in a series, a short series of four on the subject of Christian giving. Paul writes about this now extensively in chapters 8 and 9. And as we were saying there with the boys and girls, it's a follow-on to something that he has raised with the church at Corinth over a year ago. Uh, and um, last time, uh, chapter 8, 2 Corinthians 8, page 1162, uh, we looked together at verses 1 to 7, and we saw that uh, financial giving by the Lord's people, it's not just a necessity, in order that the church is able to function. It's not even just a privilege, as Paul writes about here 
In verse 4, that's the way the Macedonians looked upon it. And they were right to do that. But Paul, in verses 1 to 7, emphasized that giving to the Lord's work is a Christian grace. And uh, certainly for myself, uh, I, that was a new thing, a new challenge to me. Uh, I tend to think of the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, love, joy, peace, gentleness, meekness, uh, self-control, those as graces. But I'd never before thought that how I give and what I give to the Lord's work and the act of giving financially is a Christian grace. And you remember we took the challenge of what are we praying for ourselves for the next year in terms of our growth and grace and are any of us praying um, for growth in the aspect of Christian giving or giving to the Lord's work? The verse that we looked at then or that we based our study around uh, was chapter 7. Uh, See that you also excel in this grace of giving or see that you abound in this grace also. And so this morning we want to move on now to verses 8 to 15. And we're asking the question, what can we learn from these verses further or more about Christian giving? Uh, And there are three things that we want to note and they are printed on the rear side of your order of service. First of all, give to prove Your love. Give to prove your love. And we're looking at verses 8 and 9 at this point. Paul is an apostle. He has been given a unique authority in the church. He could use his apostolic authority to challenge the Corinthians to give. But he doesn't. Look at what he writes in verse 8a. I am not commanding you. Or I speak not by commandment. There's other times in his writings when Paul would say, I do speak by commandment. But he's not on this occasion. And he doesn't on this occasion. Instead, he seeks to accomplish the same goal that the Corinthians will see giving to the Lord's work as a Christian uh, grace, something that they should excel in, something that they should do liberally. He wants to get them to see that, not by way of a commandment from him, but by presenting it to them as a test of their love. Look at what he says in verse 8. I want to test the sincerity, the genuineness of your love. Now, um, he makes mention here um, of others by comparing it with the earnestness of others. He's already held up the Macedonian churches 
That's the churches of northern Greece, Philippi, Thessalonica, those churches established at the beginning of the second missionary journey. And we know from the letter um, to the Philippians how generous in particular the Philippians were to the Lord's work. And Paul says, I want you to remember them. I want you to think about their giving. And surely that will stir up in you uh, your love. Um, Your love for what? Well, your love for God. If it is sincere, if it is genuine, if it is wholehearted, um, your love for your fellow believers, these believers in Jerusalem who are struggling to survive, your love for the gospel, testing the sincerity of your love for the gospel. So Paul sees uh, the opportunity to give um, as uh, a test of their love. How deep it is. And that is still true today. Is it not? I can't remember where I heard it. I heard it years ago. Somebody once said the last part of a man to be converted is his pocket or his wallet. Um, in other words, we can um, work out our Christian faith and be in earnest about our Christian faith in lots of areas. Bible reading, prayer, witness, service in the church. But we can be very tight-fisted when it comes to, to money. So, um, give to prove your love, Paul says. But in verse 9, he plays what we might call the trump card. He says, when I'm talking about um, love and I'm talking about grace, and I've been saying, yes, we see that in the churches of northern Greece. And I want you to feel the challenge of that in Corinth. I want you not just to think about the churches in northern Greece. I want you to think about your saviour in heaven. And I want you to think about his giving. Look at what he writes. For you know. You see the connection? For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That word could, it's the, that word charis that we've had already, grace or giving. It's a key word in this whole section in Paul's writing. For you know the giving of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what kind of giving was it? Well, he was the richest being in all of the universe. For he was and is The eternal Son of God. The Lord of glory. The one who is equal with the Father. The one whose um, place and whose home is heaven. 
But what did he do? Though he was rich in his being and in his position and in his place where he uh, existed. Yet for your sakes he became poor. He took a human body to himself. He left the glory of heaven. He left the Father's side. He agreed to the Father's task placed upon him or set before him. Take a human body. Hide your glory. Live in a sinful world where you're going to come across all kinds of wickedness. And you're going to meet people that are so different from you. As day and night, as black and white. But he did it. Though he was rich. Yet he became poor for your sakes. What love. The sincerity of the love of the Son of God for sinners was demonstrated, was proven beyond all shadow of doubt when he left heaven. When he became a man or a a human being inside the womb of Mary, was born in a stable, laid in a manger, worked as a carpenter, grew up in poor surroundings uh, and in a poor home. All of those things. For your sake he became poor. Why? So you through his poverty might become rich. Do you see what he's saying? He became poor in order to enrich us with salvation. In order to live a righteous human life that I can't live. You can't live. We can't live. In order to die that hell-deserving death on the cross. Emptying the cup of God's wrath for sin against you and against me and against us. And we have been enriched because we have been brought out of our spiritual deadness. We have been adopted into the family of God. We are heirs and joint heirs with Christ. How then, if Christ has done so much, how could we, how could the Corinthians decline such compulsion to give as Christ gave? To give to prove their love as Christ had proven His love, the love of God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit for the world by coming into the world. 
Jesus is the epitome of generous, sacrificial giving. And so the Corinthians are to be like Christ. They're to show the sincerity of their love, not just for their fellow believers, not just to be uh, stirred by what the churches in Macedonia have done, but to be stirred above all by what Christ has done for them. And that's the great motive that underlies Christian giving. If Christ did all of that for me, how can I decline to give to him and to his work, to his people, to his church? The little that he asks in return. You remember last time we saw uh, that we believe, or I believe, and I teach that the little is the tithe, the one-tenth as a minimum. In that, in the New Testament, that's an Old Testament principle of tithing. It's upheld in the New Testament. It's not abolished there. And Christ approved of tithing. But in the New Testament, we are enriched a thousand times more than Old Testament believers. And so, um, we cannot be content if we're going to excel in the grace of Christian giving simply to give. Our tenth. But we want to be growing in that. So that we are demonstrating. And we are proving. The sincerity of our love. For him. Who first loved us. Let's ask ourselves the question. Does my giving. To the body of Christ. Show. Sincerity. A real depth of love and gratitude to him for what he's done for me. That's the first thing. The second thing we want to see from this passage is give to fulfill your promises. Give to fulfill your promises. And we're looking now at the next verses from verse 10 through to 12. I think the NIV is not the best of translation here because it gives the impression that there's already been part of the collection that the people have handed over to Paul. Whereas I think what is happening is that the collection should have been building up over the past year ready to be given to Paul uh, and whoever he sent uh, on um, their behalf. Um, Verse 10, Paul says, And in this I give my advice, I'm quoting now from New King James, It is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, but now you must complete it. So it's something they began, something they desired to do, but Has it been completed? Has it kept going? I think it was the last time we touched on, or somewhere recently we touched on and made a comment about New Year's resolutions. Um, 
and how by the time you get to the middle of January, there's uh, that Monday in January, which is called Blue Monday or something like that, because by that stage, everybody's got their credit card in from the previous month and all that they've spent, uh, and by that stage, they've broken all the resolutions they've made at the beginning of the year. Well, uh, it's easy to make resolutions. And it's easy to do that in the matter of Christian giving. And the Corinthians have obviously made a resolution to give to the need of the church in Jerusalem. And they made that resolution a year ago. Paul talks about that um, uh, at the end of verse 10. Desiring to do a year ago. And we saw there with the children how Paul at that stage had given them a manageable way to do it. He said, I'm not asking for a lump sum, but I'm asking you to set aside week by week, week by week, until the time that I come again. And by that stage, if you've done that, you will have given of your means, and you will have given um, in a systematic and generous way. And so... um, uh, the church has recognized the need of Jerusalem believers. They've said, we will help. We will contribute. But you see, that was then. And now is now. You see, a week's a long time in politics. And um, a year can be a long time in Christian giving. And The reality is that our memories can fade and good intentions can go unaccomplished. Um, For example, at a very practical level, uh, sometimes we say, I must visit someone. Or we're in a conversation with someone and they, they tell us about a friend or a relative who's not doing very well and say, I have to go and see them. And we're filled with resolution. And then we look at the diary for the rest of the week and say, well, I can't do it this week. And then it comes to the next week and, well, the urgencies dropped a little bit. And then it comes to a month and we've forgotten that we ever had the conversation. That we'd ever made that kind of resolution in our minds. I know that's me in any case. And I don't imagine that you're any different. You see, we can, we can state things as good intentions, but then fall short in the outworking and the implementation of those things. And that's why we need one another in the body of Christ. That's why we need the ongoing ministry of God's word um, to stir us to these things. The very fact of busyness can Drain the, the lifeblood out of the best intentions. Just too busy. So what does Paul do? He says, get on with it. Get on with it. He says, complete it. And you see, there may be other factors at play here in the background as well. And we've always got to take any verse in the light of the wider context. And remember... That in Corinth there are false teachers going around the place in the church. And they're slandering Paul. 
And they're saying, oh, Paul, he hasn't got it right. He's not a true apostle. Um, he's not very persuasive. You don't want to follow him. You don't want to listen to him. So that may be playing into the whole thing as well. Is Paul really? And is the, the, the causes that Paul identifies and the causes that Paul supports, are they really the right causes to support? And then let's bear in mind that First Corinthians talks about the internal divisions that were in the church there. And the quarrels. One of the things that eats into people's giving. If they're discontented and if they're quarreling with their fellow believers. So all of those things are probably playing their part. But I think the big thing is that we're always well-meaning in our intentions. But we fall short, as they would say in business speak today, in the delivery of the service. Um, and that's, that's true. So, Paul says, give to fulfill your promises. Verse 11, but now you must complete also the doing of it. That as there was a readiness or unwillingness... There may also be a completion out of what you have. Verse 12. For if there's a willing mind. It is accepted according to what one has. And not according to what he does not have. A willing mind. A good intention is not enough. We need to put the intention into action. And. Let's think about the challenge of that. At the beginning of the year, we may end up, uh, and I hope we do, thinking about our giving, thinking about how it needs to adjust, uh, and if we're knowing the Lord's blessing, uh, then how it may need to increase. And we can make that resolution and we can have that intention, but we can fall short. And is there not something wrong if our giving today is what it was two years ago, five years ago, ten years ago? Is there not something wrong if our giving, as sometimes happens in churches, wouldn't even equate to buying a daily newspaper. We wouldn't think of cutting back on that. But that's all we give. Or less. We give less than that. To the Lord's work. We think of it of ourselves. Um, how uh, over a year ago. We thought about our project. That we are taking on in North Road. And we made various commitments at that stage. It's good for us to think and ask ourselves today. Well have I been able to fulfill what I promised. Before God. wasn't anybody else. But before God. What I would do. Or have I been able to fulfill what I intended to do. Now sometimes there are circumstances that are beyond our control providences of God that change everything 
And that is a different thing. Uh, and there's allowance made for that by God. Uh, he is a generous God. He's a kind God. Uh, he understands us. But uh, what he doesn't uh, accept is if we have an intention and we have the ability, but we don't put it into action. That's the second thing. And then the third thing, and I must say I've struggled with this third one and I'm not sure that I've got it right. <laughs> well, can you ever be Well, we should be comfortable as preachers when we come to preach, uh, but I, this, I, I'm not sure that I've gotten all that's here in verses um, 14 and 15. But I think what Paul is saying is give to promote equality or give to demonstrate equality. Very interesting. We're living in a day and age where equality, equality, every corner you go round, every place you go, the cry is equality. And of course there are many equalities today which are not actually equalities. Uh, they can't be accepted because they're trying to equate two things. One is right and the other is wrong. Uh, heterosexual marriage and homosexual marriage. One is right and the other is wrong. You can't equate right and wrong. You can't have equality there. Um, so, uh, but um, there is, Scripture does recognize equality. And equality at creation. Male and female. Equal standing before God. Difference of function, difference of role, but equality of status. There's an equality uh, in the fall. Male and female, all people are sinners by nature. And then Paul talks about the equality that salvation restores. Because as a result of the fall, there are lots of inequalities in our world. Women get treated badly. Children get treated badly. Certain groups in society um, get treated badly just because they belong to a certain group. Uh, and um, Paul uh, in his letters talks about there's neither Jew nor Gentile, male nor female, uh, Greek uh, nor Scythian, um, uh, slave nor free. There's an equality that we have in Christ. And I think that's what lies behind what Paul is saying here. He's saying, remember, you have an equality in Christ. You're a largely Gentile church here in Corinth. The church in Jerusalem is largely Jewish. But you are equal. You are equal in your standing in Christ. Your brothers and sisters in Christ. And so you should give... Maybe not to promote equality, but to recognize would be a better title. To recognize or affirm equality that you have uh, in Christ. And that uh, then expresses itself also uh, in um, the issue of um, providing for, for, for those in need. Uh, these verses sometimes have been twisted uh, by people who want to, to um, support an agenda. So, for example, communism. They would say, people go to these verses and say, well, there you are. There should be no difference between people in terms of what they have. 
Just right level across. Uh, and so that's the whole principle of communism. But that's not what Paul is saying. He's saying that as people and as Christians, there are basic needs that people have. And there's got to be an equality there. Okay? Everybody should be able to have food and clothing and shelter. And we would want to add that today, health care. Those basic things of life. And so that kind of equality is what Paul is promoting here. And here are Christians in Jerusalem um, who don't have um, financially. And here's Christians in Corinth who do have means. And Paul says you should be using your means to recognize that equality that we have in Christ so that the need that these people have, just as you have, for the everyday things of life, is met. Is met. But an equality that now at this time, verse 14, your abundance, your abundance may supply their lack. And Paul, I think, in the rest of the verse, says, well, actually, there could be some point in the future where you will be the ones who are in need. And the Jerusalem ones, believers and churches, they will be in plenty. And then he says, I would expect the Jerusalem believers and the Jerusalem churches, though they're largely Jewish, and they've thought of you Gentiles originally as dogs, but you're now equal to them. I would expect them to meet your need of food, clothing, shelter. And Paul Later, writing to Timothy, will say, with these we should be content. Food, clothing, and shelter. Uh, And uh, physical well-being, as far as that can be provided for uh, by health care. So, being equals in Christ demands that those who have share what they have with those who do not have in the church so that our equal needs are met. Our equal needs are met. And this is a principle that lies at the heart of Reformed Presbyterianism. It lies at the heart of Reformed Presbyterianism in terms of the way in which we govern our church terms of the way in which we support congregations. So, for example, um, small congregations that can't um, pay more than 50% of their minister's salary, they will get support from the denomination, from the stronger congregations. We work this principle out Also in terms of elders. Here's maybe a congregation. And for some reason at this moment in time. As was our experience at the beginning. There weren't elders. And so. We have a system whereby. The strong. The bigger. Gives to the smaller. In order. To have this equality. Because every congregation. 
It's going to be a church needs to have elders. Every church of Christ needs to have someone who will exercise ministry. If the believers are going to be built up, the church is going to grow. And so, yes, there is a responsibility that must be come, arise from within that congregation. But Paul would not have any place burdened beyond its ability. And so, um, I think it should also apply to the whole area of gifts. The congregation has an abundance of gifts and personnel. And there's a need. And there's a situation that um, is appropriate and right where, the, where then that need should be met by the stronger. Verse 15, to finish with then. Paul now, and I think he's showing this principle of equality here of standing and equality of meeting of need as he goes back to the Old Testament. We could have read this passage, Exodus chapter 16. It's the gathering of the manna. And what happened was the people were sent out to gather the manna. Nobody got theirs handed to them on a plate. Of course, unless they were Beyond the ability, having ability to go out. Uh, that's a different matter. But there was no young person or young adult who was allowed to lie on their bed. And just, well, I'll go and get your manna as well. Or I'll supply you with your manna. No, they had to get out of their bed. And they had to go out and gather it. And so, if you imagine this situation. Imagine if we were to say, right. Uh, today, uh, at the end of church. There's 10 minutes, and let's imagine there was manna all around out there. And I said, right, I want you to go and gather as much as you can in 10 minutes. Would we all have gathered the same amount? What do you think? No, we wouldn't. Because we've got to think of, if Rosemary were here, she's in a wheelchair, couldn't reach it. Got to think of Jean and others, older members. They're not going to be able to run as fast as a, as a Dylan um, or a Ben. Um, and in fact, maybe some of the young children, they might pick up something else that they think is manna. And it's actually wee stones, wee little white stones they picked up. So they're not going to be as discerning uh, as a David Julie. So somebody's middle-aged. So you see what happens. You can't, not everybody would gather the same amount. But here's what happened then. The, the manna that was gathered was brought in and then it was distributed equitably. So everybody had to gather uh, and they gathered according to their ability. But everyone received according to their need. They received according to their need. So that there was an equality. So, the Janes and the Rosemary's uh, and the, the person who couldn't gather as much, um, they didn't lack. They got their daily supply. And those 
who were the equivalent of David, who in ten minutes could gather two bucketsfuls and only needed one, he didn't have more than what he needed. Because there was equalization. And so Paul is saying here, give uh, as um, a, uh, give to recognize or to uh, to promote to recognize equality to uphold equality. It's very important in the body of Christ. Nobody is more important than someone else. Very important. Churches are weakened whenever someone or someones are seen as the top brass. They're the important people. They make the decisions. And, well, I don't matter. I'm just there to sit in a seat and to put a little bit into the plate and to do what I'm told. That's not the principle. There is an equality. And we've got, to, we've got to affirm that. We've got to recognize that and uphold that to honor Christ. So let's do that. Well, so Christian giving, give to prove your love. Give to fulfill your promises. Give to recognize equality. Equality of standing, equality of need. Though there will be a difference in ability. And if anybody's any further light in those verses, I'm happy to listen to them in verses 14 and 15. Well, let's pray together. Our God and our Father in heaven, we thank you today for our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for him who gave at such great cost. He gave without complaint. He gave without holding back. He gave himself to your wrath and judgment for our sake. He became poor in order to enrich us. And so help us, Lord God, to realize that that is the way in which we are to give. We are to give and we will be impoverished in one way or another. When we give of our time to do something when we uh, give of and use our gifts, um, when we give our money, yes, there is um, technically less left, but you are the one who brings enrichment to others and you bring enrichment to us by our giving. Even as Christ brought enrichment to us by his giving of himself for us. Father in heaven, we pray that you would help us to follow through in our intentions. Again, like our Savior. He never lost sight in the 30 um, plus years that he was on this earth. He never lost sight of what he was to do. Of what he was to be. Of what he had promised to you, his Father, he would be and do. He completed it. And so help us to be people not just of intention, but of action and completion. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us uh, also to give uh, as Christ gave. 
to recognize equality. Indeed, he did it to restore equality. And we thank you that there is neither Jew nor Gentile. There's neither rich nor poor in his sight. But we're equal in standing. And we thank you that he provides equally for our need through the common care one for the other. And we pray that we would um, exemplify him in these things. And help us, Lord God, to honour one another. uh, To give all that is due to each other that Christ gives to us in his salvation. We pray, O Lord, that there would never be anyone in our church who would feel that they're not valued, not uh, not belonging, uh, not uh, significant. Lord, help us then to be like Christ uh, with his people. We ask that you would forgive us our sin in these areas. In Jesus' name, amen.